0: Welcome to another episode of Criterion on the Couch, a podcast from two amateur film buffs as they make their way through the vast Criterion collection one title at a time, all from the comfort of the couch. We record each episode immediately after we watch each film. I'm Adam Yurek, along with
1: Jim Massessa.
0: Today's episode features Badlands. Jim's going to take us through the official Criterion summary and specs. Badlands announced the
1: arrival of a major talent, Terrence Malick. His impressionistic take on the notorious Charles Starkweather killing spree of the late 1950s uses a serial killer narrative as a springboard for an oblique teenage romance lovingly and idiosyncratically enacted by Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek. The film introduced many of the elements that would earn Malick his passionate following, the enigmatic approach to narrative and character, the unusual use of voiceover, the juxtaposition of human violence with natural beauty, the poetic investigation of American dreams and nightmares. This debut has spawned countless imitations, but none have equaled its strange sublimity. This movie came out in 1973. It's got a runtime of 94 minutes. It's in color. Uh, It's mono audio. And it's a 1.85 to 1 aspect ratio. Which, on my TV at least, leaves about an inch black bar at the top and bottom.
0: Yeah, it's 1.85 to 1 is almost 16 by 9. Yeah. Was... So, if you have a sixteen by nine television, you'd barely see the little lines at the top of your uh, letterboxing at the top of your TV. I've seen this movie before. Uh, I saw it maybe once. I, I think I saw it one time a long time ago, so I, I didn't fully remember everything that happened in the movie. Uh, but I do remember a couple scenes. I I like this film. I think it's uh, it's really good. Terrence Malick has a way of uh, just having these odd. What would be considered sort of like odd moments in films where uh, they, uh, where you have these like scenic shots when he's like mm-hmm. taking these big long scenery shots with music playing or just the sounds of nature. Yeah, uh, that that he does it in a, a bunch of his films. Uh, but I do, uh, uh, I think this is a good, uh, a good movie that's like character driven in a sense that you have, um, you know, Martin Sheen's character, you have Sissy Spacek both really really young in this movie and you can really really see their talents now of course they've had both had phenomenal careers yeah. um and um i think that that's kind of one of the big things with this movie
1: by the way uh sissy spacek in 2011 was in the movie the help
0: yes yeah, which i did course. not see but oh, that was a good movie
1: in the help she also starred with alice and janney
0: yeah who is in the West Wing? Is this like uh, Six Degrees of... Yeah, Martin uh, Sheen. Yeah, Martin <laughs> Sheen. <laughs> uh,
1: but this is, as far as I can tell, and we talked about this before, I think this is the only Terrence Malick movie I've ever seen. Um, I mean, I know he's done a lot of movies by... Yeah, so
0: he, he he's one of he's a director that hasn't done that many films. And I think he went... 20 years? 20 years between Days of Heaven and... Uh, and The Thin Red Line So yeah. he did this. He did Badlands, Days of Heaven, The Thin Red Line uh, And then he did The New World Which was nine, uh, 2005 I think Which is
1: also in the Criterion Collection Right,
0: and so was Days of Heaven And so was The Thin Red Line oh. And then he did in 2012 I think it was uh, He did Tree of Life Which stars uh, Jessica Chastain And yes. Brad Pitt Which is a, a really interesting movie
1: I remember the artwork for that movie But I didn't see that
0: yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's a good movie. It's just different, I guess. I mean, a lot of his films, uh, have kind of, uh, they're just, they're usually pretty long. He tells these really, really, like these stories that just take place over a really, really long time. I think I wrote a note down that, especially when I'm watching, when I was watching Badlands, that it was almost like you were watching a novel play out. Mm-hmm. And the second when you listened, when you listened to, um, uh, S- uh, Holly, Sissy Spacex character's voiceover in the film, yeah, which was, I thought, a really good way of doing voiceover. Um, slightly, I mean, was we just when we had just done the Royal Tenenbaums, we have Alec Baldwin doing that voiceover. But it was more about, like, draw, driving the plot forward, telling you what was going on or giving you background right. to a scene where this was almost, and the way she was saying things, um, you know, at the very beginning of the movie... We have her exposition when she's kind of telling us what happened. Uh, and that's less a. She's not like describing things or using metaphors. And then when we get later into the film, she does that a lot. Um, I can think of the, the one scene um, where she says...
2: We had our bad moments, like any couple. Kid accused me of only being along for the ride. While at times I wish he'd fall in the river and drown so I could watch
0: that like just that thing yeah. or describing her feelings about uh, about what was going on I kind of felt like I wrote that I was like I kind of it, it sounds like it's the character like it would be picked right out of a, right out of a novel
1: so that, this is a well I think it it says on the description I just read this is based on a real life incident it is yeah
0: um, I don't know much about the incident but no, I know I that it's based on a true story of a guy and a girl who went around on like a killing spree
1: It yeah. if I hadn't known that I feel like I wouldn't have thought the this was kind of believable the way.
0: Yeah, I don't know that the way that this the plot of this film played out is actually what happened though. Yeah, because Natural Born Killers uh, is also a take on this same same idea.
1: It so uh, Holly Sissy Spacek's character kind of follows um, Kit Martin Sheen's character around pretty easily. Like it doesn't seem to take much um
0: well she's 15 years old i think that's what's important to con- she take into consideration
1: is but she doesn't i mean i know she says that she's in love with him in her narrative she says that mm-hmm. but neither character ever actually says that to each other in the movie uh they're very kind of like flat emotion wise uh i think till the very end then kit gets a little emotional um when holly wants to leave him but up until then, they they don't they don't really show any remorse. They don't really show a lot of excitement.
0: Uh, yeah, I would say that uh, you know Kit is a sociopath, so he doesn't have. See, really, I was going to say
1: Holly was a sociopath.
0: I mean, they maybe they both are. Yeah, I, I think you have you could see that uh, in some ways, especially with with Holly, her father it's definitely you know was like a like a hard man i guess is the way to to put it like he shoots he shoots her dog when she disobeys him by hanging out with uh right with kit which i think is just sort of that cruelty in the in the movie that you really see so uh and they're not they're not very dissimilar kit and the father i don't think they're both very controlling uh of 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 holly they kind of you know and i think what kind of sets up her I guess falling in love with him aside from the fact that he looks like James Dean and, and
1: several people say that and yeah he actually does kind of look like James Dean in this movie at least the way they have him dressed and his hair and all that
0: well and I don't think that's by like I it's, mean that that's it's all not purpose. it's all on purpose and it's not it's not to make the character look like James Dean like he's kit dresses like that be, so he can look like James Dean his hair looks right, like James right. Dean I mean James Dean was huge um, during that time like any I'm pretty sure like every guy wanted to be james dean uh and kit's no different but there's some things where he kind of um i know just just the way he would talk to holly i think she's a younger kid he's older uh but when they're talking about was she's like oh you um
2: well i know what my dad's gonna say what can't be honest sure well that i shouldn't be seen with anybody collects garbage you say that yeah. Now what's he know about garbage, huh? Nothing. There you go.
0: And he just has these like plain matter of fact, logical, like super logical comments that he makes to people throughout the movie. Yeah, like
1: the first, the, when they very, f- they meet right in the beginning, his first, the first thing he says to her is,
2: You, uh, I don't know, want to take a walk with me? What for? Oh, I got some stuff to say. Guess I'm kind of lucky that way. Most people don't have anything on their minds, do they?
1: That's some big revelatory thing that she's probably never heard somebody say, and it sounds very grown up and important uh i don't know
0: yeah i, I think that it it's just through half the film he has these just comments that he makes to different people, and when he's kind of confronting them and uh you know just kind of i mean he's end up gonna like shoot him or something like that, but he just is so he's so logical in what he's saying to them that it's almost like they're confused about what's going on because he's not like get jumping out of the car and waving his gun around wildly and screaming and yelling right. or asking to do crazy things. He's just matter of factly saying stuff to them.
1: What was, uh, I feel like they set him up to be like the bad guy right away in the beginning. Cause he's while he's collecting trash. Cause he's like a, a garbage collector, I guess trash man whatever you yeah. want to call it. Uh, he's going through the trash, too.
0: Yeah, I noticed... Yeah, so he's I, going I that through He's going through the garbage. He's kind of picking it out, and he's like, hey... To that older guy, he goes up to him and he says... Oh,
2: no, no How do you know? You haven't tried more? Yeah, no, What size are they? Your size. Come on, give me a dollar for uh, it.
1: Cost 20, dude. Well, then he said, I'll give you a dollar if you eat that dead dog.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought that just kind of was like... I think I it's really it's se-
1: showing how like weird and like un. I don't want to say unemotional, but like he's a normal person would not do that. Right. Like there's something he he doesn't have that feeling of like attachment to living things.
0: Um, well, one thing when when he's doing the trash, that I noticed. I wrote down. Um- why did people start using trash bags as opposed to just dumping just dump the trash, their trash in the trash can? Yeah, loosely. Yeah, I wonder uh, I wonder when that happened. I just thought that was kind of interesting that you, you kind of have that, you know, I feel like a lot of times you have movies, people are digging through people's trash, or, like, people run into the trash cans, and trash yeah. goes everywhere. And now that wouldn't necessarily really happen because everything's in bags, and it would have been harder for... He would have been, like, tearing open bags to try to get in there and look at stuff. But so, I do notice that, like, even later in the movie, he... Uh, he he's collecting things. So I think he has all that junk that he gets in the car and they bury in the bucket in the middle of the planes. Um, the balloon and he finds the yeah the balloon, he finds the toaster in the, in the basement. Uh, just these things where he's kind of like just collecting little things as they go along. So while,
1: while he's still working, um, on the the garbage truck, he just, it's like halfway through the day and he just turns to the, to, uh, Kato, I guess is the guy who's riding the truck with him. And he's Mm -hmm. like, uh, I'm just I'm just gonna go home now. He just leave, he just leaves in the middle of the workday. I mean, yeah. he gets fired then, but I think it just shows that like he he just doesn't care. No, like, he doesn't. Just does whatever he wants. Uh, there was a part I didn't quite understand, and I don't. Um, Holly is narrating. I don't remember what she said. She's talking about a fish. And she like throws the fish in the yard. It was like a catfish or something. It was a
0: catfish. Yeah.
2: The whole time, the only thing I did wrong was throwing out my fish when he got sick.
1: And then in a scene very shortly after that, she's talking about Kit, like describing him and he's at his own home alone in bed and the camera zooms out and the fish is sitting on his dresser, just like wiggling around. It's not in a bowl or anything. It's the same catfish. I didn't know if that that was supposed to be like a dream or something. It was very weird. Uh, All right.
0: I missed that part. (laughs) I didn't understand
1: what was going on with with the fish. She said something about like being, she did something bad or something and had to get rid of this fish.
0: Um, Yeah, I didn't really get that part.
1: Because then later on I was wondering like, did she do something to that fish? Is that supposed to show us that like there's something wrong with her too? Like she treats animals weird. It's a fish. Right, but, I mean, they had the scene with the dead dog in the beginning showing Kit, and I'm wondering if that was supposed to be showing us some personality disorder with her, because she definitely has her own weird quirks. I mean, Kit shoots her dad, and her only real response to him is she slaps him once. Mm -hmm. But she doesn't, like, yell or anything.
0: Well, but I think it's set up in the fact that she doesn't really like her father that much, because, um, I mean, he shoots her dog. It seems like he's, you know, kind of... uh, A guy who would take his daughter's dog out and shoot him in the field because he disobeyed her has definitely done other things in the sense of like either hitting her or like verbally abusing her, just mentally, you know, abusing her in that sense. I mean, he's like a single dad at this point. This takes place in the 50s. So chances are it's not, you know, he doesn't have that motherly influence in there that kind of... Because her mother died of pneumonia. Right.
1: So, and Kit, I mean, at that point... You know, Kip really isn't that bad of a character yet to us. Um, When he first meets Holly, I noticed he's, he pulls out a cigarette to start smoking and he just kind of, he turns to her as if he's, like, going to offer her one and then he turns back. We don't see her, but it, it gives the impression that she, like, Said no. Right. But then later, she's smoking.
0: Yeah, so I noticed that. I wonder if that's like a break in her personality. I think
1: it's, yeah, like she's easil- showing the influence that he has on her. Right. Not that he's forcing her to do this, but she just kind of picks it up. Um, but again, so Kit does not, he doesn't seem like a bad, too bad of a guy yet at this point. And he actually, after after he knows that her dad has a problem with him, he goes out to see her dad while he's working. He paints signs. And he just, he doesn't do anything He introduces himself He says you know I really like your daughter She's very special to me Um, He leans on the dad's car And and before he even leans on the car He asks like do you you mind if I just lean here while I talk Like he's very polite And the dad is very just I don't want to see you again Get out." And that's it's almost like The flipping point because he says a line Then he says The dad says something about like What kind of person he is And he says
2: They sold cancer
1: and then he says that same line at the very end of the movie
2: it takes all kinds of uh,
0: yeah, he does
1: um and I think that's supposed to show like the turning point like that was the last straw like
0: right, yeah and i and even the scene in which he he breaks into the house and you know the father comes into in, hollys into Holly's house. house, yeah, yeah her father comes in, which it's at that point that I finally noticed um i I realized who the actor is who played. Her father Warren Oates, mm-hmm, who was uh, Sergeant Holka in Stripes. Ah, uh, great, great movie yeah, by the way.
1: Have. I saw Stripes. That's like Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd.
0: No. Bill Murray. Bill. Uh, Bill Murray. Um, Harold Ramis. Mm. John Candy. I don't think Dan yeah, 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 yeah. Aykroyd is in. Is that the one with the
1: missile yeah, and they like steal? the RV. Yeah yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great movie.
1: Uh, uh, but anyway, I like yeah, that he he's.
0: He's. Uh, I think what you really see Martin Sheen's and what I like about his his performance in this film is the subtlety of his acting. And I think that's something that, you know, having seen Martin Sheen in a bunch of different things that, that, that he's really good at is this these subtle, you know, moves with his face or just things that he adds to the character. I notice that if you notice throughout the film that Kit will be talking and he'll kinda of like sniff. Hmm. He'll say something and just be like After death stuff or just the way he would like eat an apple and then toss it away or just like kind of wipe his hands like these little things that kind of just show you what type of character he is. And when you see his face, he kind of up until this point, he kind of has this like kind of like furrowed brow, just kind of matter of fact, like no real smile or grin on his face. And then when he's in there, his eyes are like wide and he looks like his face is red. He's been sweating and he's kind of like looks like he's kind of the anger is built up inside of him I really think it's like the one time that you over the first time you really see emotion yeah. from him and the next time I don't think you see really any emotion until like you said he uh, Holly says she doesn't want to be with him anymore and he starts kicking the this, this stuff and getting all angry well you kind of get the feeling that he's not used to people disagreeing with him or telling right. him no and both of those times
1: somebody's kind of standing up to him
0: exactly yeah and then he's just kind of uh, just the way that he says things uh, when he says
2: I've yeah, here sir a good idea to have around.
0: Right just, like, the look on his face, he just casually pulls it out, and the way he kind of, like, bobs back and forth, he kind of, like, shifts from, you know, his weight back and forth from leg to leg. Right. And then, you know, they have a little bit of an argument, and then he says,
2: Suppose I shot you. How
1: deadly?"
0: It's just, it, he does, and like I said, it's like those, like, logical questions that he asks throughout yeah. the movie to people, which, what are you going to say to that? Like uh,
1: It's a very indirect way to threaten somebody. Like, he, he says, like, what do you think it sounds like? Or something like that. And then he shoots the ground like he's he's letting you know, hey, there, it's actually loaded. You know, he's not telling you that, but he's in a roundabout way. He's letting you know that this is a real threat.
0: Right. Yeah. And then, I mean, and obviously he shoots, shoots her father uh, and puts him into the basement and then they decide to burn, burn the house. The thing that's funny is where he he goes into that booth, a recording booth, and he which was a thing. A he, 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 yeah, he records a suicide note on a 45. On a yeah. <laughs> And then um, he plays that outside of the, the house, the house, yeah. and I think like, this is a good example of Terrence Malick. Like he does these, like great. The cinematography in his movies is really, it's probably some of the best cinematography I think you're gonna consistently see from a director. Um, he just has this. I mean, it's like two or three minutes long, where it's it's a montage of scenes of things of the house burning down. Yeah. Which is interesting because we're not really attached to anything in that house. It's not like it's been set up as this great family home, and we're watching it burn down. It's just I don't really get why you would spend so much time showing the house burning down in the way that we do.
1: Yeah, I was wondering that too. It did seem a little long, and it was definitely real, like a real house burning. You know, it's it was they didn't have like a cheap right, you know, little prop house burning or. You know, this movie's too old to have, like, CG fire on something. Right,
0: no, no, it was all real.
1: So I don't know if it was just for, like, visual effect. Um, Maybe. But that scene did seem a little weird. You know, they're recording a suicide note because they kind of want the police to, at least for a little while, think maybe they killed themselves. But they take a lamp with them when they... Or at least Kit takes the lamp when they leave the house. He takes a bunch of stuff. And then he also has her go back to her high school, take all her school books out of her locker because... According to her, her narrative, he says he wants her to keep studying.
0: Right, he doesn't want her to fall behind.
1: But then, wouldn't the school, like, one of the first things they do, like, go through her locker and be like, everything's gone. All right, they probably didn't kill themselves then. She took all her stuff with her. Like, I don't know. It hmm. seemed like a weird thing to do if you're trying to make people think you killed yourself. Like, take yeah, all your stuff. I mean, again, I, I don't know. I don't think. Well... But I didn't know if that was part of what actually happened in maybe. real life yeah or i don't know it was a weird movie that. choice um yeah then they kind of go on the run and they're living in the woods for a while which that's Very like robbers and caruso yeah like they built like was a, a, legit, a three-decker house know, that was crazy yeah that the movie got a little weird there there was just like a llama wandering around in the woods i didn't quite get
0: that yeah I showed that a couple I times that. i don't really get that either um, but i think from that we see a lot of what again like i said earlier those nature shots that yeah, almost. I feel like you. I felt like I was almost watching, you know, these like little short scenes from the from the Planet Earth series with the way that they were, uh, you know, going through and showing the, you know, Falcon there or the rabbit here, and just these like long, like the sunsets or the lightning off in the distance. I think it really helps like paint the scene of how they're just out in the middle of nowhere, uh, but they really do like they go through the whole thing where they have passwords and calls and right, you know, alerts, and he sets up all these elaborate traps and things like that. And I do. I think th- there's like this little subtle thing that goes throughout where he's trying to catch fish and he can never really do it. He's just not. He's like, he has like a net and he's trying trying to yeah. to catch the fish and he can't. And re- and that's eventually what you know they see them get Cause caught he, at some point because he's he shooting the and the guy the guy sees him. Um. So then that a couple that guy comes back with a couple other
1: guys and they all get shot. Um. Kit shoots all of them, and uh, Holly. The na- narration says,
2: Kit felt bad about shooting those men in the back, but he said they'd come in like that and they would have played it as down and dirty as they could.
1: And earlier on, when she's talking about Kit before they go on the run, uh, she talks about him and she says, his heart was filled with longing. And both those times, it made me wonder, is, is she just telling us what she thinks was happening? Like, is she a reliable narrator or... Are we hearing her thoughts as the thoughts of a 15-year-old girl like dreaming about this guy that she kind of likes? Oh, his heart was filled with longing. When really, his heart probably wasn't filled with longing. He's kind of like a nut. And he probably... He didn't really feel bad about shooting those guys. She wants to believe, like, oh, he he probably felt bad about shooting those guys. And really, he just... He shot him.
0: Yeah, I think we're hearing her idealized look back at everything that happened. So we are seeing this through... She's not whether narrating she's 15 the story. Or whether she's, she's narrating her perspective. Right, it's uh, like I said I think it's like we're, you know, we are um we're watching a novel in that sense that yeah. every time her narrative kicks in, it is the narr like they're reading the reading out of the book of of what this what this movie is because it's not it's not just a voiceover. Even like in The Shawshank Redemption which probably has some of the the more famous mm. voiceover over of, of 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 any movie. A lot of it was it's just telling you kind of like what a character was thinking or uh, or what's happening or what happened in the meantime where this is not it's more of a like an analysis, I guess, of you could say of what it is. She's like talking about what she thought he felt or what he felt and whether that's like she was told that by him off screen or it's her interpretation of it. We don't really necessarily know unless she says it.
1: I got the impression it was just her interpretation. Right. Um. But before they left the woods there, there was a scene where they're playing a record and dancing together. They're playing the uh, song Love is Strange. Uh-huh. <laughs> Kit, you know, they're both dancing in like a weird late 60s, 70s kind of way. Mm-hmm. But I felt like uh, Martin Sheen is dancing um, like the Bluths in Arrested Development <laughs> when, when they're doing their impression of a chicken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's kind of like, yeah, like he head bobbing and like almost like kicking his feet like a chicken so, i don't know his hands were like in his back pockets and he was just like, like jim's uh, like actually acting <laughs> out right now as we as he says it it's like such a weird <laughs> dance like who would dance like that i don't know it just reminded me of like that's not what a chicken sounds like has anybody here seen a chicken
0: yeah and, and one of the things while they're in the woods i just before we get past that part of the movie um is when those guys come into the woods that he ends up shooting in mm-hmm. the back um you can hear those like wisp that whispering in, yeah, yeah. in the thing, and I'm what was wondering if because I don't is think that happens. Crazy to, there yeah, I don't, I don't know if that was to where he's hearing these voices. Like, ha, is that what he's hearing this whole time? Star, and I saw the trees. I feel the breeze. And I the
1: breeze. Or was it just the soundtrack?
0: Right, I don't know if that was part of something that they were putting in there to kind of you know, increase the uh, anxiety of the situation. Yeah. He did look kind of jumpy there. Well, I would expect him to look jumpy because they're about to like, you know, he knows what's going to happen. Yeah. Are those the first people that he, or after the dad, that's... after the dad is the yeah. first people that, he, yeah, the people that he kills again. Yeah. Cause then from there they go, he goes to see his, um his friend Cato. Yep. Who was the other guy on the garbage truck with him. And that's one of the, one of my favorite pieces of the, Holly's narrative is when she says, describing Cato, that
2: we went to hide out with a friend of kids from the days of the garbage round.
0: Like that, that hmm. she describes him as. I just thought it was kind of a uh, I thought that was a cool phrase. The way that she said that, kind of going into that way that it was like written. It's written like it's prose. Her voiceover.
1: Yeah, Cato uh, did not have a good run there. Um, I don't know if he. It seems like he literally
0: and figuratively.
1: <laughs> That's true.
0: <laughs> as he's turned, he's he turned, tr- turned to run away and got shot in the back.
1: Right. You you would assume had he just walked, he may not have gotten shot.
0: Well, he didn't strike me as that bright of a guy. No. Uh, I think, I mean, obviously, uh, Kit knew exactly what was about to happen. Right. I mean, he was smart enough to kind of try to convince him. Be it. You know whether there were really gold coins out there or not. I guess it's not really fair to say that he wasn't that bright of a guy because he could have just been lying that whole time to get him to go out into a field.
1: Oh, I thought I thought that was legit.
0: Well, I I thought it was too. But now that we're talking about it, I was kind of like, did he set that up so that they would go out there? Right. Or did he? Was it true? And then he realized the opportunity he had once they were yeah, out there yeah. that he could go in and call the police. Uh,
1: Either way, it didn't work out. Uh, he gets shot um it's such a weird like kit shoots him from decent that was a away. pretty yeah it was a good
0: shot for a shotgun too. he
1: didn't even really eye that up he just kind of waist held it and and shot him yeah but uh Cato doesn't fall down or if he does he gets back up and, he gets back he does fall down he starts back. walking towards the house um kit catches up to him opens <laughs> opens the door for him so Cato can walk into the house which is is weird like you just shot the guy, but now you hold the door for him. Um, and Cato goes right inside, sits on his bed, and I guess eventually dies. I don't think they actually showed him dying. I think they leave the house before. Right,
0: they... and then he comes back and he's dead. Yeah, I think I think opening like, the door for him is, again, it's kind of that like odd politeness that Kit has throughout yes. the whole movie. Even up to the very, very end of the film, the last scene that he's in, he's still being really, really polite to people. Yeah, the and police then, officers... When um when those kids come in the car, when the young man and girl come to who maybe were the ones who Cato was watching the house for, maybe, or something like that, I don't know. But he he was always kinda like asking them nicely to do things. Yes. And And but then and then and then he's like, yeah, he just he kinda closes the door and then sticks the gun and then fires it quickly and he turns to Holly and says, You think I got him? And and then they just run away like I you know, I think it's just sort of this. I think that it throws you off a little bit because you—he's so polite and nice to the to people, but then yeah. also he's this cruel, like sick person. Well, that's
1: like that sociopath behavior. Exactly. You know, he's, he's definitely got these two different personalities, uh, and he just randomly switches back and forth with no justification. Um, after that scene, they go back to Cato's house before they leave, mm-hmm. and the narration from Holly there says suddenly i was thrown into shock <laughs> it wasn't sudden at all like they they went from that shack all the way back to the house inside and now she's like oh he's killing people like that's like the seventh person he's killed and like now yeah, it's sudden to her
0: so but i wonder though if it's more because she had that little conversation with the the girl where they're kind of walking and she's kind of talking to him and
2: What's your friend's name? Jack. Hmm. You love him? I don't know. I gotta stick back here. He feels trapped. I can imagine. Well, I felt that way, and you?
0: I don't know if that was, like, in her mind, like, a quick bonding moment she had with this girl, and then he shot her. Or, like, hey, I think these people could be our friends, because they're a couple, and we're a couple, and... She's a 15-year-old girl, like who knows. I mean, I'm guessing she's 15 at this time. I don't know. She's we 15
1: don't... when it starts. Right, I don't know, we don't w- don't know how, how much time passes.
0: I don't think it's that. We don't ever really see a um, the season's change. So I think yeah. we're talking a matter of like a month or two that were I, that they're out there.
1: I was just chalking it up to the unreliableness of her narration that that she's kind of telling you the story about her life and Maybe she's trying to paint this good picture of herself. We're seeing her as she actually was, but we're hearing her as she likes to think of yeah, herself. Yeah, that's, that's like, true. Like, suddenly I was thrown into shock is how she would tell somebody, but in reality we see...
0: Right, it's so, like, you know, I keep talking about this novel thing, but it's it's basically like, yeah, she's got got her book deal and is writing a book about the experience yeah yeah that's the feeling trying to make herself look better and him look better in the process of or she's of like what she's
1: describing saying. her case to a courtroom we don't see right. that but like that's the, the way she talks i kind of got that feeling
0: i did like that right after that we go into this black and white newsreel type footage where oh, it's yeah. like the towns and they're Hunting showing like yeah that was just to me i was kind of like really like they were like Taking the kids for, from school to their houses, and <laughs> I mean, it's it's it really set up like this. Just isn't just this like little incident where you know we think only a couple people are aware of it. That this was like widespread. We are talking middle America fifties. Yeah. Like the, it, um, I thought of. Do we mention where this actually takes place? I don't think we did. Well, South Dakota, North uh, Montana.
1: Yeah, South Oklahoma. Da- maybe, South Dakota is where they're where they're living when her dad gets shot. Right. And then they were trying to make their way to the Badlands in Montana. Right. So it's somewhere in between there at this point that this is happening. I don't know what that distance is, like how many to to show in the black and white footage to show all those people like concerned, like,
0: well, I mean, it reminded me of the because it would have been the same time. It would have been the same time, I think, of uh, In Cold Blood. The Truman Capote story in Cold Blood, which is, and that family in Kansas is like brutally murdered, and that just like threw everyone for a loop because that's just something that did not happen right. in that area. So I, I kind of get the same. This isn't like a big city where you know you're, you're kind of getting used to crime in that sense. It's small town, rural America where right. this doesn't happen ever, and to have these kids going on a killing spree where they're just killing random people. Uh, I just thought it was an interesting cutaway because there's no other way you really can show that that that's what's happening. Because it's not like you can cut to a TV broadcast, right. uh, which is what I believe happens in, like, Natural Born Killers. They kind of have that – it's a different – it's another stylized rendition of this where it's interesting that they talk about the Criterion Description described as an impression, impressionistic view of the, of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh because it, it is in a way because you're sort of having these big landscapes and this the odd way though you know, the way the movies cut together where natural born killers, again, kinda like another parallel of this story, is done in like the nineteen nineties music video edit in a way. Right, right, right. Uh so like two different kind of takes on this exact same Yeah exact same story. But I like the newsreel aspect of it. Uh I thought that was a way to kinda alright, hey, like this is high stakes, there's a lot of people come gunning for him and you can see like people signing in to get their bullets. Like I guess they're getting deputized or whatever. I thought that was kind of funny.
1: That's the only time that we're really looking at any characters outside of the two of them, because in every other right. scene, it's you. You would only see people if they're in the scene with Holly or Kit. You never, you're not following like the police agents as they search for them or anything like right. that. Right. Um,
0: well, and then after that, we go. They go to the uh, to the rich man's house, as I think Holly says. Yes. And what it was the justification for doing that is funny because she says that uh, Kit wants to do it because he can, you know, get everything in one spot without having to go shopping downtown. Right. And I thought that was just kind of, again, this, like, logical reasoning as to, yeah, you know what? You probably could get, for the most part, what you needed from one per- from one rich person's house and not from, uh, you know. And I, the death maid, I thought, was an interesting... I wonder if that's true, if that's something that happened. It's like a little tiny a little tiny you know subtlety that was put into the film that I thought would just made it kind of interesting where they have that interaction cuz she just lets him in right so after after they're let
1: in and uh I guess the maid and and the uh the rich man are upstairs um or wherever kit puts them kit and holly are sitting at the table and he picks up a handbell off the table and says next time you hear this ring that's our signal um my question is, why is there a handbell
0: if yeah. the maid is, uh, is deaf? <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that doesn't really make any sense. Uh, the, Unless it's not for the maid, and maybe there's other people who like maybe there's kitchen staff there at some other time and they're just but. not there. Yeah, I guess. Okay. I, but yeah, no, that's kind of funny that there would be a bell there and <laughs> somebody would be uh, would be deaf. I, I, Again, and he's like he's really polite to the the guy who's rich. He just kind of like lets him he lets him just sit upstairs in the attic or wherever they are with all that f- covered furniture while he just kind of walks around and checks out things in the house. Right. And one scene that I that I liked, which again kind of you again you're questioning like how do I really feel about Kit in this movie and what he's saying? Because it cuts to him in the scene with the dictaphone and he's sitting there having all these philosophical thoughts and and he says...
2: Listen to your parents and teachers. They got a line on most things, so don't treat them like enemies. There's always an outside chance you can learn something. Try to keep an open mind. Try to understand the viewpoints of others. Consider the minority opinion. But try to get along with the majority of opinion once it's accepted.
0: Just just what he says there, I think you're kind of like, all right, like, is he crazy? Is... Or is he just like what's what is with this character? I think it just kind of continues to make it more complex in how you feel about the character. Because I got to the end of the movie, and it wasn't like I hated Kit. You know, I kind of wanted to keep yeah. seeing him on screen, and I wanted to hear him talk more and just have these interactions because he's just this odd character. And you I think you almost Martin feel Sheen, bad
1: for him, but
0: you I, do. You almost but do. But I bad can't for figure him.
1: out why I would feel bad for him. <laughs>
0: But I think it's to Martin Sheen's credit because he he plays that character really, really well and just has this way about him of, you know, I think it goes back to those subtle ways of acting that that Martin Sheen has. Uh, That dictaphone
1: part kind of made me feel like it's, you know, it's that whole James Dean um, wanting to leave behind like a legacy thing. Like he wants people to think greatly of him, so... I think later on, we definitely see that he's trying to leave kind of markers of who he was and and what this event was Um, like. He he stacks up some stones to show where when he actually gets caught, where he was caught and he he gives away some of his things. Um, So I feel like when he's making that recording, it's he's already thinking like people are going to want to have this, you know, look into his mind. And so he's making this recording that people will wonder over um i don't again i don't know if that actually happened but it'd be interesting if that really did happen yeah
0: and i think it's uh it's interesting it's almost his way of like he does have a little bit of, of an obsession with celebrity yeah where he does want people to remember what he's doing and i think he does say at one point that uh i always wanted to be a criminal i guess just not this big one um so i think that again that goes to that uh, aspect of his, you know, wanting to be a celebrity. Um I did think when, when they're on that like really long drive across like to the Badlands. Yep. That it's interesting where they follow the power lines and they're just driving through the field. I don't know how his suspension and shocks and the tires managed in the Cadillac like that to hold up. Those old cars, man, they uh Yeah I guess. I, I just em. thought that was uh
1: yeah, that, that was, was kind funny. of a long, a long um, consecutive sequence. A lot of like, I don't want to say filler, but a lot of little lines and stuff kind of happened there. Um, Holly says something in there narration-wise. Uh, she says, "At this
2: moment, I didn't feel shame or fear. It just kind of blah, like when you're sitting there and all the waters run out of the bathtub."
1: And it, it, it's it's that same feeling of like. I think she is the sociopath like she is she's not killed anybody herself, but she's a part of all these killings and she has no remorse. She's the only thing that she ever really expresses is like she says uh, how she's thinking about what her future husband might be like, like you're running around with this criminal. Who do you? where do you think you're going to end up? But she's daydreaming about her future life.
0: Right, and she does say that when she is doing that, where she says,
2: I felt all kind of things looking at the lights of Cheyenne, but most important, I made up my mind to never again tag around with a hell-bent type, no matter how in love with him I was.
0: She won't be with another hell-bent type. Right. (laughs) Which is kind of funny, you know, in in that sense, that she's, yeah, again. I she She already thinks like, this is like a temporary
1: thing. Like she's gonna, she's gonna get out of this somehow. Um, I mean, she's not necessarily saying that, but she's thinking about her future life in very like definite ways. Um,
0: when, and I and I thought again, you know, the scene where where um, you know, we talked earlier about how we really see his emotion when the helicopter's coming. They kind of yeah. go up where there's like an um, what I assume is like an oil well being drilled into, and uh, you know, she's like, I'm I'm done. Like I'm not doing this anymore. Did like, you
1: notice he uh old yellard, the um the oil man there? When the helicopter starts coming, he turns to him and he says, Go on, get
2: start running.
1: You're change. go on, get. <laughs>
0: I didn't notice that. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh yeah, and then he um he 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 kinda like has like a huge temper tantrum. Yes. But what I was thinking, too, at the same time was, like, how far away was that helicopter? Because it took a long time for that helicopter to show up. Yeah. They, uh, and then it kind of looked like
1: they were circling. Maybe they were trying to oh, get a good, good yeah. line
0: on him. That's true. And then he kind of grabs, like, the fender of the car and uses it as a shield. And <laughs> he just, like, picks off the guy. Right. You know, it was, like, riding shotgun in the helicopter and and then gets in the car and and, and gets away.
1: Yeah, that was... I couldn't tell, like... how Did he rip that off of the truck, that fender? I think so. Okay. Because it came off pretty easy. Yeah. Like, How did he rip that right off a... Of, like, see, he superhuman strength?
0: Uh, yeah, I think um, was, yeah, I don't know what that was from. He
1: has superhuman aim, apparently, because he's, he's been...
0: Yeah, he's a great shot.
1: With, while running and, like... Yeah, I don't know. Again, if, if I didn't know this was a real story, I would think... They're just making this up. But you would assume a person getting shot was probably part of the actual story. Maybe not. Right.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It would be interesting to look up, like, what the full... What actually you know, hap, um, transpired with the, with the whole story of, of what really happened. You know, did they, again, I think it's, I I don't know that the guy shot a guy out of a helicopter. Yeah. You know, I think it's just a matter of like, this is his take on that story and and doing something different with it.
1: I, I did really, I liked the part where, so he's throwing the tantrum because she says she doesn't want to go with him anymore. And he, you know, there's a lot of pressure because he has to leave they have to leave right then they're, they're leaving together or he's leaving without her. Um, And he kind of stops his tantrum and turns to her and says,
2: you want a second chance and listen, 12 noon, at grand truly Dam, new year's day, 1964. You meet me there. Now you got that.
1: So like even it was, he wasn't just slamming the door on her. He was kind of giving her this chance thinking like she's 15, you know, she's called up. Maybe she'll change her mind. You know, I'm going to leave it at that. And then he takes off. Yeah. So it's, it's still that like kind of politeness coming back. Um, well
0: i I truly think like you you said earlier that they don't really say it to each other but that that he does love her obviously from from the very yeah. beginning because he kills her father so that he can be with her that's really, and he's essentially killing the other people to stay with her that's if you look through who he kills it's kind of he's preventing any other person from being with them. like He kills he Cato kills because he's going to turn him in, but again, it's he kills him because right. he's going to lose the opportunity to be with her. He kills those people for the same thing. Like Anyone who just comes up because they're going to get caught, but it's not that he doesn't want to get caught because he doesn't want to go to jail. I think it's he doesn't want to get caught because he doesn't want to be away from her. Because right. once he's away from her, he does the whole big car chase, which was a good car chase scene, that I thought, a good car through chase. the planes with the cops. Yep. And the cop's car kind of like tilts over but comes back on the wheel. You know, and then... Um, you know, you were saying with the, uh, with the rocks where he gets caught, he kind of gives up, and he surrenders, like, and he shoots, you know, uh, that's where we have Holly's narration, where she says,
2: Many times I've wondered what was going through Kit's head before they got him, and why he didn't make a run for it while he still had the chance. Did he figure they'd just catch him the next day? Was it despair? He claimed to have a flat tire, but the way he carried on about it, I imagine this is false.
0: But then we're seeing him shoot the tire. Right. Uh, so we know that Holly's really not getting the full story of everything. And that's why he had to surrender. But really, he was just kind of giving up. And I think it was because he no longer has Holly with him to kind of like support him. And he's going on this thing because he's with her and that's what he wants. So why keep going if he doesn't have her anymore? This is pointless. Like, why do I keep going?
1: Yeah. Um, I did think it was a little strange that they catch him and cuff him. But they don't like take anything off of him, because then he's like pulling stuff out of his pockets and giving. Yeah, it's I. Like that, he had a pen, he could have stabbed somebody right, with. Right, he had a cone, lighter, he had a cone. lighter. Yeah.
0: But even I think that scene's great—that really goes into kind of feeding into his psyche, where he's being treated. At first, we don't see that, like that they're soldiers, yeah. so we're kind of. I'm, at first, I was like, "Who are these people?" Kind yeah, of are reporters there. Stuff? That that's what I thought it was. I thought I was going to pan away to see um, to see reporters, but. You know they're kind of like they've heard the story of this guy, and he's again he's this James Dean type figure to them. He's in his denim, he's got his hair, you know, combed back, and here's this guy who was like in the news, and these soldiers yeah. are are uh, are getting to meet him and, and get their little souvenirs from him. And again, he's so damn polite to people. <laughs> you know, always oh, shakes the hand of the sheriff. Thank you very much, Chief Sims.
2: Sorry if I called you any inconvenience. You didn't cause me any trouble. Thanks anyway. Well. Huh? good luck to you. Thank you very much.
0: I'm you. I know you, good luck to you too. yeah to say that to him is just sort of a, you're like what you know he just killed all these people right but I think it's charming yeah exactly I think it's he's they again what what happens to us while we're watching the movie where we're kind of like is this guy a really bad guy like we don't really we don't dislike him yeah uh, is the same thing that he was he's just charming you know he he, he kind of and he's in the um when he's in the plane and he's talking to the guy about the hat.
2: Sir, where'd you get that hat? State.
1: Boy, would like to buy me one of them. When he's in the police car earlier with the policeman, he's asking them about the type of gun they used and, yeah. like, very politely.
2: Say, what kind of rifle was that you were shooting at? 30-06. You ever had to open up like that before? Nope.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All
2: right.
0: and it's he's like making conversation. and conversation when he's being taken away he says to the cops or I, I don't know if it's being taken away or when he's in the car and he says to the cops or it's when he's in the car because the guy grabs his hat off and throws it out right. the window but he says to them
2: well you boys have performed like a couple of heroes don't think i'm not gonna pass it around when we get to
0: town and he's like yeah like good job but like, he's like i'm gonna give you guys credit for taking me down <laughs> You know, I want I want to, I want you to know I'm going to give you credit for it. Like you, you guys deserve it. It's kind of like what, what is going on in your head? Uh, a little.
1: There was a, a weird narration part from um, Holly where she's there when they're on that long car drive and they're kind of driving past the cows and she says something about they had to hit.
0: Already right, ran a cow over to to
1: save ammunition, right? And then in like the next scene, they're getting rid of stuff. And he shoots a football. And Sissy SpaceX says like,
2: "Before we left, he shot a football that he considered excess baggage."
1: Yeah, he, he wastes a bullet shooting a football, but he'll run a cow over with the car. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. it made me think again. Like something's wrong with this guy, or her narration is like yeah. all over the place. Um, you know the the theme song, which they. I call it the theme song they used right, it was it a theme a throughout lot. the yeah um so the name of that song is Ga- gassenhauer
0: right by carl orf yes carl orf i think yeah
1: so apparently that's been used in several movies
0: yeah i was thinking it's um uh it was used in finding forester yes at the end and and that i think that's probably the first time i heard it and it was also it was a xylophone
1: used in, uh xylophone and marimba something yeah. like that um they also used it in Monster, the the Charlie's Therapy. Yes, oh that's a good movie. Yeah. movie. And there were a couple other ones, but those were the two that I feel like I probably recognize. This was, it was them.
0: used a lot in this movie. Yeah. I thought that was kinda odd that it wasn't because it's because um, 'cause I've listened to the song before and uh the parts that they're playing in the movie, it it's a very short song. It's only like two or three minutes long yeah. for a classical piece. And they kind of repeat the same um, section of the song over and over and over again throughout this, which is the famous kind of like, yeah, of that song, like the little riff that's there of the, of the xylophone
1: kind of reminds me of, I don't know if this is still the case, but maybe like six years ago in iMovie on, uh, on max, when you opened it up, um, there would be like default themes you could choose from. Mm. And they always had like background music playing. Uh, and one of the songs was a very, it was a marimba theme, and every time I hear like a marimba playing now, I always think of that.
0: Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I do. T- well, I, I, anytime I hear that, it's sort of the, it reminds me, I I keep thinking it's going to be the, you know, that. That the, Apple sound. Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, Yeah, there was, I mean, other, there wasn't a whole lot of other music in this. You know, we talked about that Love is Strange song. Um, Nat King Cole, I think, was playing yeah, on the car radio. I, again, I think it, and th- then they there got was some out more, period,
0: to that. more period music that was, uh, that was going on. In the film. I mean, they were listening to the radio and stuff like that. But I I think, I don't know. Sometimes I don't know that necessarily movies need music.
1: No. I think that specific song was more used, again, to show kind of their relationship because they're on the run. It's the middle of the night. She starts to change the station. He says, No, wait. He turns it up a little. Then he stops the car and they get out and dance Mm -hmm. in the dark in the middle of the field. Yeah. um, Which. You know, why Why do that if he didn't care for her? Um,
0: no, but yeah, I think that's the thing. I, I don't think he doesn't uh, – that he doesn't not care for her. I think yeah. he loves her. That's the whole point of the thing is that he just wants to – in his own weird way. Again, you don't really ever see – we've said this though. You don't really see any emotion from either of them and you don't really ever see them. I mean they, there's one scene I think where you see them kissing when yeah, they're in the car on. and they're talking – she's talking about how – it's like dirty and they don't like this life on the road and she wants to bathe and they're kind of like making out other than that, there's not really, we
1: know that they've had sex early in the movie. Yeah. They, you know, they don't, there's no big scene, but it's kind of the, after the scene, she says something like,
2: is that all there is to it? Yeah. Gosh, what was everybody talking about?
1: Don't ask me. Like yeah, neither yeah, of them seem very impressed with with being in love, but
0: yeah, I don't, I don't know. I that that was kind of an odd scene. And then he does, you know, um, I just thought this. he he takes the rock, similar to how he yes. the rock. He's like, oh, I want to remember this by. He's like a huge boulder basically in his arms, and he's like, I'll oh, uh, I'll get a smaller one. <laughs> I
1: I thought that's what he was doing at the end when he parks the car and he starts piling up the rocks. Uh,
0: I, I thought, thought he was going to
1: take a rock to be like. Ah, uh, this is where they caught me. But he's trying to mark. Well, I didn't
0: know if he somehow was like, he shot his tire out. At first, I thought he was picking up the rocks and he was going to do something with them, like throw them at the cops or do something. <laughs> but he still but, had a gun. He was kind of. Yeah, I don't. I, I was kind of confused at first. And then even when he built the thing up and I'm like, all right, this is odd. What are you? Whatever. Yeah. Um, but overall, did you uh, did you like the? Yeah, like I liked it. I mean,
1: I, I would probably watch this uh, again. Um, I mean, I own it now. So. <laughs> um it is a I think now that I like have the general idea of the story um I would probably go back and pay more attention to kind of the way that Holly's character is behaving earlier in the movie to see like is there more emotion you know when she's playing her instruments when she's more of like the innocent girl yeah. um twirling her baton in the yard does she have more emotion I feel like she did show a little joy back then which she doesn't really show ever again. Um but it'd be interesting to watch again and look for that.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think that's the one thing with the Criterion collection is is that you these are movies that you 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 should watch more than once. Yeah. You know, they're not just picked at random, they're chosen for a reason and I think the ability to go back through and watch them a second time and and pick up things that you haven't really seen before is kind of like the best aspect of the Criterion because when you're you, when you're buying a Criterion collection movie, they're not you know they're not on sale for 5.99 in like the bargain bin at like a Best Buy or, or Walmart or something like that. Like mm-hmm. they're they're more expensive. You're buying it for the special features. You're buying it for the you know the film essay that's in there, or if there's commentary tracks. Uh, but you're you're going to want to watch this movie or any of these movies, you know, a second, third, fourth time, uh, you know, because there's more to them the more and more and more you watch them. I do feel like I
1: just watched this a second time because last night I watched Platoon with charlie sheen oh yeah but he's so young in that that he kind of and there when martin sheen was younger i think the two of them kind of looked oh for sure they don't really look as similar now but even their voices um charlie sheen's voice in platoon is more like martin sheen's voice nowadays like it's it's a little deeper than i think martin sheen's voice was in this movie yeah um but, it. I mean, you can definitely tell that. Well, and then now the you
0: should uh, go and watch uh, Apocalypse Now, another uh, young Martin Sheen
1: One Or The Mighty film. Ducks. Uh, no, no, I don't think so.
0: Good movie, but... Emilio Estevez. Emilio Estevez, yeah, yeah. Or uh, probably better off watching The Breakfast, Breakfast Club, Club if you wanted to see, like, yeah, the younger. young Sheen men, you know, all around approximately the same age yeah, in true. those films. So, but, uh, but, yeah. Uh, I definitely like this movie and I'll be watching it again uh, another time alright so uh, that's it for this episode of Criterion on the Couch you can find the show notes at criteriononthecouch.com next time we'll be discussing Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas right. another uh, Terry Gilliam film uh, and uh, that one was by request so we're gonna look forward to watching that movie don't forget to check us out on Facebook on Twitter we're at Criterion Couch and on Instagram we're at Criterion on the Couch I'm Adam Urich with Jim Massessa. Thanks for listening. See you next time.